0: This episode of Paranormal Heart is brought to you by Nodakian Studios. If you're looking for a fine piece of stoneware pottery, check out Nodakian Studios at nodakianstudios.com, as well as on Facebook, where she periodically gives away pieces of pottery. Again, check out Nodakian Studios at nodakianstudios.com.
1: Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward, along with a special segment, Oddities with John Mallard.
0: Welcome back, folks, to Paranormal Heart. Bienvenue tout le monde. You can find us on the second and last Sunday of each month on Podbean and YouTube. You can also find us on SparkRadionet.org, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Podchaser, and anywhere you find fine podcasts. If you enjoy the show, please show your support by telling others about us and hit that like button, share, subscribe, and follow. This episode's shout out goes to my listeners in Ireland. I hope you're all doing well and I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. In episode 41, I'm joined by another interesting guest. He's a nationally award-winning journalist. He has written about the commercial satellite and space industries for over 30 years. He currently is a freelance journalist in the Washington, D.C. area. He has reported from four continents and is the winner of the prestigious Newsletter Publishers Association Award for Breaking News. He also earned three other NPA reporting awards. He's also an accomplished ghostwriter and has edited personal finance, economic, newsletters, and regional anthologies on the paranormal. He has gone from a skeptic to a believer of the paranormal after experiencing things he could just not explain and had to admit that perhaps there's something to the paranormal after all. He shares those interesting experiences
1: with us. I
0: introduce to you Mr. Dave Bros. Hello, Dave. Welcome to Paranormal Heart.
1: Kat, it's my pleasure to be on your show. I've looked forward to this for so long, and I'm very honored uh, to be able to be considered to be a guest. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you. The honor is mine as well. Uh, I know we've been talking about this for a while, and uh, it's finally here. Um, I thought before we got into your paranormal experiences, you could give us a little bit about your background and then how you got into the paranormal.
1: Well, I am a uh, professional journalist. I've been... um, uh, writer, professional writer, covering the science and space and satellite communities for about 30 years now. So I'm pretty much an, an expert, if you will, on anything that's space and science, NASA, satellite-related, satellite TV, satellite radio, you name it. I have uh, both a an undergraduate degree and a master's degree in journalism and in covering government. And I've always been interested and had a friendly ear to the paranormal but I will tell you that it wasn't until I had direct experiences myself with what I would consider to be paranormal events that I became much more interested in the field and I would I would define myself as a hobbyist mm-hmm. and and uh, in my community which is the space and satellite community it's a high tech community that's driven by science and data and facts that can be tested and proven to believe in the paranormal is not um, to be accepted by that community. They, you know, believe in evidence. And if you can't produce evidence, then it doesn't exist until it happens to you. And then when it happens to you, a whole nother world opens up to you. And that's kind of been my, my experience moving through the decades.
0: Almost like an awakening or an epiphany.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. An awakening, a revelation, yes. an eye-opening. You have to open your mind as well as your eyes to this as well, because you can deny what you're experiencing. It's especially if you come from a science background like myself, mm-hmm. and a journalistic background like myself, where you know you have to you have to report the facts. You cannot make things up. Mm-hmm. That's considered fraud, <laughs> even though. We know in in a lot of journalism that is going on, unfortunately. Oh yeah. (laughs) People are making things up out of whole cloth. But you know, I'm old school. I was trained thirty years ago and so I approach journalism from a more old school way. And you, you don't make things up and you just report what you see as it happens. And I'll tell you I've had some doozy of some experiences, some whoppers that have, you know, opened my eyes. That's all I can say.
0: I really love hearing people who have a scientific background, a journalistic background. I have another friend who was actually a guest. He was a clinical psychologist, um, Stan Wanglin, And um, he, you know, at one point kind of dismissed the paranormal until he had uh, experiences himself that he couldn't really explain. So uh, this really fascinates me.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I have found that. Let's see. I don't want to sound. I don't want to sound egotistical here, but I have found that when I sh- when when I'm sharing my stories coming from me, a journalist and somebody with a science background, somehow with people it tends to have like increased credibility. Not that that I should ha- I should automatically be granted that credibility. I shouldn't. Every uh-huh. everything that I say should be tested and you know either accepted or doubted on its face. But because I do come from a rigorous journalism training and a science background. Somehow, I think people give me, uh, lend me more credibility in their eyes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens enough a lot. It's, um, it's almost like we know you're not going to make things up.
1: Right. Exactly. And let me say this: I desperately wanted to continue to deny what my eyes and ears and nose was experiencing.
0: Because of your Real
1: background, yeah. ...some of these events. Believe me, I wanted to bias myself against this, even though I was witnessing it with my own eyes and my ears mm-hmm. and my sense of smell, and I just couldn't. I mean, it gets to a point where you can't deny it or, you know, you're, you're, you're acting like a crazy person if you do. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Well, Especially I think... when it happens, when it repeats and repeats you know that it just there comes a point in one's arc of knowledge, of arc of acceptance, where you have you just have to say this is happening. I can't explain it, but mm-hmm. this is definitely happening, and I can't deny it.
0: I think when someone has an experience um, where they can't explain things, what distinguishes them from being crazy and and sane is how they uh, react to what they just experienced.
1: Right. yes exactly
0: yeah so please go on tell us everything
1: all right well i'll share some of my stories and sure and um, as god is my witness and and i am a god fearing and god believing person i am Mm -hmm. a spiritual person Mm um what i'm about to tell you is the truth and all of these things did happen uh to me which changed my life in in this respect in that i became went from a non-believer to an open-minded potential believer, which for me was a very big deal because I was very close-minded about the paranormal. I joked about it, made fun of it, mm-hmm. you know, teased people who who uh, you know <clears throat> teased people in a in a fun way, not in a, in a cruel way, but yeah. you know, teased people who had said they saw this or experienced that. And of course, and it never happened to me. And you know, if it doesn't happen to you, it's it's hard to cross that bridge and to believe. And I understand that. So for those who are listening to your show right now who have not had an experience and they doubt what I'm about to say, I believe them and I understand them Mm -hmm. because I was there. And, you know, perhaps one day these things will happen to them and they, too, will have potentially a change of paranormal heart. How's that? Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was smooth. Well, there you go. And I didn't even practice, I promise. <laughs> so so all of my experiences began when I was into well into adulthood. I had never had an experience as a child, or in my twenties, or in my even through my thirties. But just into my forties I started having these experiences. For for no reason. There was no precipitating event. There was no life-changing event um, there was no trauma there, there was nothing it just it just happened in due course of living that all of a sudden I started having these these experiences that I couldn't understand. and they started small and then they built larger. So oh let's see the first one, the very first one which blew my mind, Heard. And then I, these things, now that I've done, you know, research and listen to other paranormal programs and watch things on TV and done a lot of reading, I tend to see that there are situations and, and um, certain scenarios that are more prone to maybe being exposed to the paranormal than others. And this one revolved around renovating a home.
2: Ah. Huh.
1: So I live in the Washington, D.C. area. I live in the the suburbs of Washington, D.C., in the mountains of Maryland. I live not too far from Camp David, Maryland, this presidential Mm -hmm. weekend retreat that the program flies up to on the weekend. Um, It was made famous in the late 1970s with the Camp David Middle Eastern Peace Accords Mm -hmm. that were negotiated at Camp David up here where I live. And I had a friend who lived in downtown Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill right near the big Capitol dome, the famous white dome, Congress. And he lived in the neighborhood behind there and he had just bought an old, old townhouse. This was a house that formerly was deeded after the United States Civil War. A lot of former slaves were given homes as part of the... Um, uh, what's that called? Um... As, as, as a make-good for being slaves, as, as part of the Reformation, Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And these houses stayed in these families for generations, for a hundred years. And as the real estate market in Washington exploded during the 1990s, and all the way through today, gentrification happened, like is happening in many cities across the country and in Canada as well. Oh, by the way, I know that, I'm not sure when you're going to be um, airing this, but I do want to wish people a happy Canada Day. Oh, thank you. Even though this could uh, be airing, you know, many days later, but I just, just today is Canada Day.
0: It I is, yes.
1: Canada Day. Thank you. You're welcome. So, um, my friend had, had purchased this old, old, old home that was uninhabitable. It was, had fallen in disrepair. It was a row house, a, a townhouse on Capitol Hill. And he and his friend were slowly working to rebuild the house, refurbish the house inside. And his friend that he was working with that was helping him, who was a contractor, met an untimely death of cancer, oh. you know, fully unrelated to the work that they were doing in the house, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I, I said to my friend, well, you know, how can I help you? How can I help out? Because you know, He was in the middle of the project. And it had gotten to the point where, where he could move in. My friend Jeff could move in, and live in this house. It, it had been approved, but there were still a lot of, a lot of, you know, finishing touches that needed to be done, etc. And I said, you know, let me come and help you on the weekends. I'll drive down from Maryland into D.C. and spend the weekend, and we'll just, you know, work inside and out in the yard and everything. I love, you know, I just love to do that. He said, sure, let's do it. So. One weekend I went there, and we were busy working. We were doing finishing touches, painting, and some light carpentry, and doing baseboards and rooms and things. And so I was I was spending the weekend there. It was a three bedroom townhouse, so I had you know he put me up in the guest room, and it was great. So i we're working. It's a Saturday night. We're working. We get all done. I'm exhausted. He goes to sleep. He's got two dogs, by the way. A German Shepherd Wolf Mix. Oh. Golden Retriever Wolf Mix. Wow. So half wolves. Mm-hmm. They were um, they were rescues. The sweetest girls, the sweetest dogs you have ever know. I mean, just unbelievable. So just as that as a background, because they're gonna come up a little bit later. So go go to bed. And he's in he's in his master bedroom. I'm in the guest room and I'm sleeping. And in the middle of the night, the ceiling fan turns on by itself. And this is the type of ceiling fan that has those frosted globes that look like, you know, that might be at your grandma's house. Oh, yes. The globes look like flowers. They're, like, Mm -hmm. fluted. And they're usually frosted. There were four of them that, you know, hung below the blades. I'm sleeping. It's got to be about 3 in the morning, 3.15 in the morning. And all of a sudden, Boom! The lights come on below the ceiling fan, and the ceiling fan goes from zero, meaning it's turned off, uh-huh. to high speed. Wow. And it woke me up because you know you're feeling wind <laughs> on you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have this blazing, blaring light on in the middle of the night. It's pitch black. And I'm like, well, that's strange. I don't know how that happened. So I get up. And then on the, on the uh, end table in his guest room, he had the remote control for the ceiling fan. So, you know, it was a modern ceiling fan. It was one that could be, you know, had an RF, you know, radio frequency mm-hmm. clicker. To yep. Turn it on and off. This wasn't some, you know, ceiling fan from the 1970s. It was, it was a new fan that he and his friend of the late contractor had, had installed. So I, I get up and I grab the clicker and I shut it off. Shut the fan off, I shut the lights off, and I go back to bed. Finally fall asleep. An hour later, boom. Fan on, four lights on, blaring down on me. I said, Wow, this is really strange. Hmm. So I knew that on the wall by the door there was the switch. You know, a manual switch, a circuit switch. Like you would turn the mm-hmm. light when you walk out in a room, you have a light switch, you flick it on. Yes. So in, in this house, the light switches were very old fashioned. I don't know if they're like this in Canada, but very, very old homes. Didn't have a switch that you grab and, and lift it up and down. It had push buttons. I, mm-hmm.
0: I I was envisioning that. Yes, we used to have those here.
1: Okay, good. So this is this they had decided to keep them as a relic to the past, <clears> as a feature of the of the reconditioned home. I thought that was really neat, actually. So I went to the I went to the wall and I pushed the button, you know, the old manual clinky clunk. Yeah. And it goes in a circular metal button, and I clicked it off. Now, this is important to know. When you click that button off at the wall, it shuts the circuit off. Mm-hmm. It prevents the electricity from reaching the fan, the motor. The motor can't turn on. The lights cannot turn on because you've interrupted the circuit in the wall. That's what a light switch does. Mm-hmm. So I went and I said, I don't know what's going on. It must be a short in that fan that this is happening and we, he's going to have to get this checked so I went to the wall and I pushed the plunger button in which which shut everything off in the room no light, no fan, nothing it couldn't turn on and the clicker then was was rendered useless because it was shut off at the wall huh. well you know where this is going Yes. <laughs> so I, went back to bed. I went back to bed a half hour later boom lights on fan on high on high. Now, hmm. by the laws of physics and science, by Einsteinian physics, that cannot happen. That is impossible to happen. Uh-huh. But it did, and I witnessed it with my own eyes. And my and my and the in the feel of the wind on my skin, <laughs> blowing wind on my skin. So I saw it, and I felt it. Two of my five senses. Uh-huh. Well, I. I'm like this, this can't happen. There has to be a short in this somewhere, and that when I pushed that plunger in, I really didn't break the circuit. Uh-huh. It must be so old that it's broken. So I just left. I unscrewed the light bulbs because it was too late to wake anybody. Uh, you know, to wake my friend up in the house in his room. So I mean, I didn't want to make a scene because I felt like I was going crazy. So I, I. Stood on the bed and unscrewed the lights one at a time. It took forever because they were so hot. And I got them off and I just left the fan on because there's no way to shut it off. I just left the fan on, which was fine. The next m- morning when I woke up, of course, the fan was still going. Uh, the plunger in the wall, the light switch was still in the off position. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was daylight. I went, I went downstairs and I said, you have to come up here. Come and look at this. And I walked I said, has this ever happened to you in your room or in this room or any other room? Do you know of this? And I explained what happened. I showed him the fan was still going. And I showed him that the fan that the switch was in the off position. And he looked at me and he had no he, he had no clue. He said he said, I've never seen that before. And I said, I know, neither have I <laughs> I said, but I think that you need to get an electrician in here to take a look at this, because I'm sure you must have a short.
0: Like anyone, any, anyone with any ounce of intelligence would, would do.
1: Would would do, exactly. And, hmm. you know, to his great credit, he agreed. And he got an electrician the next week to come in. The electrician brought all of his testing equipment in. You know, they can test the lines by touching them with you know, mm-hmm. meters and things like that. Yep. Everything was installed correctly by electrical code, by modern electrical code. Mm-hmm. By the contractor that my friend was working with who had since passed. Um, and the, the the electrician said, there's nothing wrong with this light switch. It works. And I I asked my friend, I said, did you tell him that in the off position the fan still went on? He said, he said yeah, he thought I was crazy. <laughs> yeah. He didn't believe me. He said, he, said, he said, the electrician didn't believe me. And I said, well... I don't know what to tell you, but you saw it with your own eyes. The fan was still going in the morning. Uh-huh. You saw the punter was in the off position, and you saw me freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> this, this journalist of science freaking out. <laughs> and what, what I mean by freaking out, I mean, you know, being incredulous as to how this could happen. Yes. Right? It's just bothering me. Um, But I don't know. We just kind of left it. And, you know, what are you going to do? The electrician validated that everything was fine. The fan then was off. Everything seemed to be working fine. And everything was good. So the next, so on to the next story. The next time I go over to his house, a couple weeks later, on the weekend, to continue to help him. We're working like on a Friday night, blah, 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 doing everything. And it's, you know, it's fine, have some pizza at the end of the night, go to bed. Wake up the next morning, and we need to run to the hardware store to get some supplies. You know, whatever we needed. I don't even remember, remember what it was. Paintbrushes and rollers and you know all kinds of stuff. And so we leave his two dogs, his two girls, the half wolves, half shepherd mixes, in the house, as we would always do. And we puppy proof the house. And these dogs love to get into the garbage can. Mm, yep. And he had one of these garbage cans that had in his kitchen that looked like it was uh, from an old fashioned 1950s diner. You know, it kind of oh, was yeah. all metal. It looked like R2D2. Yeah. The yeah I love Wars. those. Where it's round on the top mm-hmm. and it has that door that swivels back and forth back and forth you know you, you push it and you put your garbage in and then it swings ding 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 ding, and it looks like r2d2 and we would take that garbage can and we would put it up on his kitchen table before we left because the dogs would get in it. yeah they just loved it so if it was up on the table they would leave it alone so we did that we puppy proof the house and out we went two hours and you know around lunchtime in downtown Washington DC doing shopping at local hardware stores and getting supplies so are you ready to, are you ready to have your mind blown yes we get back two hours and so it's like 2 p.m on, the sun, on a sunny Saturday in the summer we get back we open the door and every single cabinet and drawer in his kitchen was open and fully extended all the kitchen cabinets, all the dishwasher door, all of the, the, where the, where he kept his utensils and his cooking tools, his plates, his cups and saucers, everything was open. And the garbage can that was on the kitchen table had been moved from the kitchen to his living room. And the lid of the garbage can, the top of the R2-D2, Mm-hmm. The robot wound part on the top that swiveled mm-hmm. back and forth. That was dislodged, taken off of the can itself. It was laying next to the can in an upright position. Wow. And the dogs were nowhere to be seen. They were upstairs in the bedrooms. <laughs> they always greeted us at the door when we came in. Mm-hmm. You know, you know it, was like, it was mayhem when we got home you know they were going to get treats and they knew it and they were just so excited yeah they will they were upstairs i turned to jeff and i said does somebody have a key to your house and i said before we do anything let's check all the doors he only had a front and back door this is a row house Mm -hmm. so there was you know one entrance in the back one entrance in the front uh, two entrances in in the back excuse me a basement entrance and the main floor and then the front door Mm mm-hmm and we knew the front door was locked because we had to use our keys to get it. He, he had to use his key to get in, so that left only two doors that we needed to check: the main level door on the opposite end of the house and the basement door. All of them were closed and locked, completely locked, deadbolt locks. No neighbor, no family member had a key to his house. His family members didn't live anywhere near Washington D.C., mm-hmm. so he you know they would not, they would have no occasion to come to his house. You know, without without letting him know, right? So all the doors were sealed shut tight, locked. No neighbor or family member had a key. The front door we needed to use our own key to get in. Yep, I, take you, in. I take
0: it. I take it. You checked all the windows as
1: well. All the windows. Yeah, all locked, dead bolted, locked. Because this is Washington D.C. on Capitol mm-hmm. Hill. Yeah. The neighborhood was changing for the better, but you know it was not considered necessarily a. Crime-free neighborhood. This is an Mm -hmm. urban neighborhood, in a neighborhood that was changing for the better. So you kept everything locked, uh, including the including the the windows. In fact, on his main level, that would be the street level, his downstairs windows had wrought iron bars on them, as many homes in in the United States do in in formerly high crime areas. You
0: read my mind again. I was going to ask that.
1: (laughs) Oh, perfect. So. So he, that you know, those were all secure, and they were not loose or anything. They were they were firmly there. Uh-huh. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he's like, "Whoa, what is going on?" Now let me tell you about this garbage can. There were a number of times where I told him, "Hey, I'm gonna change. I'm gonna take your garbage out back, put it in the dumpster, or in your garbage can outside for the gar- for garbage pick up, and change the liner in the can." Uh-huh. And I've got to tell you. You know, I'm no weakling, but I'm no super buff guy either. I had so much trouble getting prying that lid off that garbage can. It was a really tight fit, huh. which is great. That's a good quality garbage can. That's yeah. great. I mean, you'd have to really, really push that round top on and it would snap on. And you want to make sure your fingers were out of the way because you could get a pinch. This is a metal, yeah, steel, steel shiny, steel diner type garbage can. There's when it was out it was so difficult to pry that lid off that garbage can, let me tell you. I could not believe that the lid was off the garbage, nothing had been spilled, the garbage can was off the table and in another room, upright, completely sanitary and clean. Yeah. With the lid pried off sitting next to the garbage can. I turned to him and I said, Your girls, his dogs, I said, your girls didn't do this because dogs do not have opposing thumbs. <laughs> No. <laughs> and they cannot pry off a garbage can. Right? They have to use their mouth. And I said, so they didn't do it. And if they did, they would have tore through the can because there were a couple times where we forgot to put the can up mm-hmm. and they had, th- they had their fun in the house. Let me assure you.
0: Yeah. I had a dog that <laughs> used to everywhere. love the garbage too. Oh, <laughs> yeah, garbage <laughs> everywhere.
1: Yeah. So, so. I know that they, they, they didn't do this. And the fact that they were upstairs in, in the bedroom and didn't meet us at the door uh-huh. was very strange. In every cabinet, the dishwasher door, all the um, drawers all pulled out. That was weird. I mean, we just looked at each other. I said, I said Jeff, there's no explanation for this. Uh-huh. Either somebody came in and broke into your house, and there's no evidence of that anywhere. All the doors are locked. They're deadbolt locked. They have to be locked from the inside. Hmm. They're all locked. And your front door was clearly locked, including the deadbolt, because we had to use your two sets of keys to get in. For the, You know, for the regular door lock, and then the deadbolt. Yep. He looked at me, he goes, wow. I said, I, I think something's going on here. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think something's going on. So it got quiet again. and We worked the rest of that day. We kind of forgot about, not really forgot about it, but you just kind of put it in the back of your head because if you don't, you become paralyzed. Yeah, you, you just kind of dismiss it. With, you just yeah, you become obsessed with thinking about it because you're mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. Yeah. Because there's got to be an explanation, right? And so you just put it in the back of your head because you've got a job to do. And we're working, working, working. So that same weekend, the next morning, Sunday morning, he's he's in his in his bathroom showering, and I'm up already. And I hear a knock at his front door. He didn't have a doorbell, because like I said, this was in a hundred-year-old mm. house, and, and he elected not to install install a doorbell. He wanted to keep it, you know, a knock door, uh-huh. like the door. And which I thought was kind of neat. And I heard the door knock. Dun, 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 dun. And he was in the shower, so I just bounded down the stairs like a gazelle (laughs) to to open, you know, to answer the door. And there was no one there. Now that's not that strange; that can happen. Yep. I didn't get down there fast enough, and somebody walked away, or you know, perhaps I thought I heard the door knock and and it didn't, or whatever. So I bounded down the the stairs. I opened the door. There's no one there. Naturally, I stick my head out the door to look left and right, thinking maybe I can catch the person. Who might be, you know, walking down the sidewalk already? Nobody there. Now, here we go. As I as I stuck my head out the door, in my right ear, directly next to the wooden door frame. If you can visualize this, mm-hmm. you just know, stick your head out a door, and your eyes, you know, dart out further than the than the frame of the door, but your ear is even with the frame of the door. Yes. Because you're looking left and right. In my right ear. As God is my witness, I heard the knock. Knock, 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 knock. In the wood. Yeah. In the wood. Now, you know, using your sense of hearing, that you can detect distance Mm -hmm. using your sense of hearing. And you know what a distant knock is, like a knock in another room, versus a knock on the door, versus a knock directly next to your ear. This was directly next to my ear.
0: Must have been loud.
1: It was loud, yeah, and it was right there. And you, you know, you can tell it's right there because it's not as if somebody was knocking on the kitchen door in the back. Uh-huh. It's right, right to your ear, and you hear it so much so that you turn your head and you look at the door and you look at the frame of the wood, and you go, "What?" And so you immediately, you know, immediately I'm like, "Old house. Maybe it's a rodent. <laughs> Maybe he has a rodent infestation.
2: Maybe uh-huh. Something
1: got in has, his his uh, uh, drywall." has burrowed through but you know then I hear this and, and you know that's, that's not a rodent or it's a, a big one <laughs> right if it's a rodent the rodent has a hand yeah and rodents don't have hands nor do possums nor do rats nor do cats not alley cats not city cats this is not a rodent Yeah, I know. At this point, I slam the door. (laughs) It's like scared. (laughs) I slam the door and I, I bound up the stairs and I start pounding on his shower door. (laughs) Get out of the shower! I've got to tell you a story.
0: Oh my god! He must have been like, "What are you
1: doing?" He's like, "He's like, you are crazy. (laughs) You are losing it." I said, "I'm not losing it. I know what I'm experiencing. I know what's happening." And believe me, I'm the first one to debunk this. I am the first one to make fun of this. Mm-hmm. I am the first one to laugh at this. And I said, but these things are happening. I said, that Jeff, we got to call one of these cable ghost shows. We got to get him out here because this place is haunted. Mm-hmm. And, and finally, I said to him, listen, are you telling me the truth that you've had no experiences here when you're here by yourself and I'm not here? Or is this only happening when I'm here? I said, come clean. Because I'm starting to think, like, you know, I'm possessed or something. Like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm causing this. Mm-hmm. And he said, well,
2: now Here that we you asked,
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know, and he starts, he starts relaying things to me. Like, he came down the stairs one morning, and he turned the corner in his row house to, 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 to the landing on his first floor. So he's going from the second floor, down the stairs. At the very bottom, it turns 45 degrees, and boom, you're in the hallway. mm mm-hmm. And that hallway looked. If you turned to the left, that was the front door. And if you continue, if you turned to the right, you went to the kitchen. You know, you walked down the hallway. Just think of a long, thin house. You turn to the right, go in the kitchen. And if you went straight, not left to the front door, not right to the kitchen, but straight, you'd be in what was the living room, where we found that garbage can. Uh huh. Oh, so he had his his contractor friend who had passed had installed these very stylish, very nice-looking, very long marble shelves. From cut marble. Nice. They were kind of jagged edge. They weren't finely finished. They weren't right angle squares. They would look like pieces of, you know, marble cut out from a quarry. Long mm. and thin. He told me one day he came downstairs. This is like a weekday to go to work. Like a Tuesday morning. He's coming down to feed the dogs, make his coffee, and get ready to get out of the house. And he turned the corner, and every single knickknack, photograph, statuette, piece of memorabilia that were on those two marble shelves that were horizontally mounted on the wall Mm -hmm. were turned around facing the wall. Wow. And he said that happened multiple times. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, what do you know about this house? Then he finally comes clean with me. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Here is the piece de resistance. Here is the coup de grace. It turns out at the very, last, the family that he had purchased this townhome from, in other words, the last owners and last residents mm-hmm. of that home, the last person to occupy the house, died in the house. Oh, wow. In the bedroom that I was sleeping in. No. Yeah, his name was Mr. Green. I called him Mr. Green Jeans. <laughs> Mr. Green died in that house of mm-hmm. natural cause, you know, of mm-hmm. old age. Yeah. You know, we could all be so lucky, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he died a peaceful death in the house. He was the last living person in that home. When he died, his heirs, his family, put the house up for sale and my friend Jeff purchased it. I said, Well, why didn't I said, Now you tell me now you tell me that a guy died in his house
0: yeah thanks
1: <laughs> I, said, I said you know you really should have somebody come in if if you believe that this is perhaps mr green or as i call him mr green jeans mm-hmm. um from from the old captain kangaroo show here in the united states was, Oh, right there's a character called mr green jeans yeah he was a, he was a friend of captain kangaroo i was I like, like why does so, that I sound so familiar exactly <laughs> yeah I said, if you really believe this is Mr. Green that you've got to get somebody in here to move him on. Yeah. You've got to move him along if you believe in this. I said, because I now believe that there's something here. And either you can, you know, enjoy it and coexist with it or bring somebody in to help move him along mm-hmm. to, you know, his, to, to, to transition into his next phase. Yeah. I said, because, because I said, this cannot be explained using science. There has there's something going on here, and sure enough, he brought somebody in. This is months and months and months later. He brought somebody in, and it was a it was a someone who had built themselves as a as a psychic, uh-huh. and as a cleanser, as a cleanser. Apparently, this person got a lot of work in Washington D.C. because a lot of these homes, you know, were old and had survived, you know. There's many traumas and many everything,s and there was yeah. like a lot of work. This this person got a lot of work doing this, and sure enough, he had the house cleansed and done, and there was no more activity. The activity ceased.
0: Nice. What year did this happen again?
1: What year? This would have been two thousand and five. Okay. Two thousand and five. Yeah, so... so fifteen years ago.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. So. So when he said that you were crazy and didn't tell you that he had experiences, then it's, you should have said something, or maybe you did. It's like, oh, you I call heard. me crazy? Well, then you're crazy, too, because you I had heard. these. Oh, wow.
1: I said to him, I said, well, why didn't you tell? When you were calling me crazy, why yeah. didn't you step up that you were experiencing things, he said, because I was in denial.
0: Yeah. And Most said, people. when yeah. I heard
1: you were experiencing things, I got scared. Oh, but this yeah. Could really be real, because if you... The, you know, stone-faced journalist, mm-hmm. the skeptical science guy, was experiencing this. Then that freaked me out, he said. Yeah. She said, so I, I went into deep denial. <laughs> yeah. And Understandable. Then, you know, he, was, he was extending this in his mind that, you know, wow, what could happen here? He could wind up losing this house. He could wind up wanting to sell this house, which was going to be his dream house. Mm-hmm. And so he went into immediate denial. That's that's what motivated him. And, you know, I actually understood that. I oh, I, that yeah, I was, do too. Yeah. I thought that was a very valid emotion that he expressed, a very valid action that he took. Action meaning no action for a long mm-hmm. time. And, and that that was valid. And, I you know, I understood. I got that. I could see myself doing that as well. You know, trying to walk a mile in his moccasins, if you will. Yeah. And I could easily see myself doing that as well. I just made this huge investment in this house. It was my dream place. I was restoring it. And all of a sudden now, I was going to be terrorized out of it? No way. I'm just not going to think about it. It'll go away. It'll go away.
0: Yeah. If you don't think about it, it's not
1: there. It didn't go away until he brought somebody in to make it go away. Yeah. And sure enough, it worked. Good. Does he still live in the house? No. He's since sold the house and, and moved to another city for another job. Okay. Um. Uh, but And I didn't ask if the new owners have experienced any activity. I I, I don't think they have. Mm-hmm. So that was the very first, that was my very first um, uh, brush with anything that I would consider to be unexplainable, paranormal, if you will. You know, yeah. beyond normal, paranormal.
0: That's quite and, the first experience, though. It blew my
1: mind. But huh. things escalated. Things escalated for me. So, let's see, 2005. So, four years later. So, so there was a time then, a four-year um, period of calm <laughs> for me, where I again, <laughs> had no experiences whatsoever, none. Uh-huh. But then, cat, things escalated, and this is this is really intense. The story I'm about to tell you, I swear to you, happened to me, As God is my witness this happened to me, and it was very, very disturbing, because it involved me being part of the experience itself, and this will become clear to you as I tell you the story. So four years later, also in Washington, D.C., a lot of my friends live in D.C., and I'm down there all the time working, so you you meet colleagues, you meet friends of friends, and Whatever, whatever, you know, I'm down covering congressional hearings on Capitol Hill, on science and space and NASA, and you know, you just meet people, friends of friends, and it uh-huh. becomes your social, your professional social group that you, you know, inter- interact with, and then you become friends. Uh-huh. So I had this friend who um, was renting a, a townhouse in a very nice neighborhood in Washington D.C. in Northwest D.C., which is you know, a very nice district where a lot of the government people and ambassadors and things live and it's a beautiful home and he had invited me on a friday after work over to dinner at his place for a barbecue uh you know on his his back patio and there were going to be other people there etc etc so i said yeah you know i'd I'd love to come I'll, i'll be there after work and I work out of a home office here up in the suburbs in the Maryland mountains. So, you know, after the rush hour was done on a Friday night, rush hour here is very mm. bad in the DCO. Mm, I can imagine. Although now, you know, with the whole Chinese virus, there is no traffic. So <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah. been, it's been amazing. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, it was after rush hour on a Friday in 2009 and also in the summertime. I went down after work, just breezed right down. The highway, right, right into DC. It was, it was glorious on a Friday, and got to his place, and some people were already there. And you know, we had a really nice, uh, a really nice um, event, and a cookout, and some wine, and it was really, really nice. And it got to be the end of the evening, and people started tallying off. and He was a huge video gamer at the at the time, and uh, his, he went by the initials um, JC. I always joke, what, Jesus Christ? <laughs> but his his name was Juan Carlos, and he went by J C. Oh so JC was a was a is, is still a, a big video gamer. Doesn't live in this house anymore for reasons that will become clear to you when, when I'm done with the story. Uh-huh. Um and, and he said, Hey, why don't you you know, people we we I clean up and stuff. And he said, Hey, you wanna play some video games? And I said, I'm not much of a gamer. <laughs> I'm really bad. If it's if it's not Pac-Man, I'm lost. You <laughs> know, I mean, I'm just dating myself here, and I'm lost. He said, "No, no, I'll, you know, I'll teach you how to do this." Blah blah blah. I said, "Okay." So, as part as part of the key to the story, just know that we never got to playing video games. I'll just put that out there as a little tease for you. Ooh. So we're cleaning up, and we. Go from the back patio, outdoors, inside, in the kitchen. We're working and everything's cleaned up. It wasn't that big of a mess. It wasn't that many people. You know, six people, maybe. And I said, all right, all right, all right. I'll stay and play your silly video game. <laughs> I guess I think that's what I really did call it, too, by the way. I think I said, your silly video game. <laughs> just I'm not a gamer. So, well, he was a good guy. And he was, you know, he had hosted me. And I said, all right, all right, I'll stay. So, but I said, before forewarned, warned, I am so lame with a capital L that you're just going to, you're not going <laughs> to want to play video games with me because I'm so bad
2: yeah
1: and he laughs he goes know, I'll show you I'll show you I said fine so you go you go into um into his den and his den was upstairs at the bedroom level this also <laughs> was a townhouse a row house um, but it wasn't as old it was maybe stemming from the 1970s 1960s so mm-hmm. it was and it didn't need to be uh, you know regentrified or anything it was a really nicely appointed house that he rented and so we go upstairs, and we go into what would have been a bedroom of this house, but he had converted it into a den. Really, really nice. You'd love it. Um, a big screen TV and gaming and the whole thing. And he says to me, he says, and this is key now, these details I'm going to relate to you. He says, hey, it's kind of warm up here. Would you like a bottle of water? You know, a cold bottle of water while we play. And I said, uh-huh. sure. He says, I need to go downstairs to get it. I said, great, no problem. So he goes down the stairs to get the water. And, you know, I'm just sitting there, la, la, la. I don't even know how to turn this thing on. I'm not kidding you. This is how how non-gamer literate I was. Uh So I'm just sitting there, la, la, la. And he goes down to get the bottle of water. And now I'm just kind of looking around, and I glance out the door. Because I'm just looking around, you know, just keeping myself occupied, and you know, getting the lay of the land of this beautiful room he had, this this, this den, and I look out of his bedroom door. And I see a woman running, cat running at full speed down the hallway, up ah. the stairs where he had just gone down the stairs, mm-hmm. up the stairs, and when you reach the top of the stairs the stair there's this landing and it turns 45 degrees like my other friend's house that the, on the down part of the stairway where it uh-huh. turns 45 degrees it says on the upward part of the staircase, it turns 45 degrees and then it leads into a single hallway you can't go any other way it's a townhouse uh-huh. and the hallway just you know takes you to the various three bedrooms the master bedroom and the two guest rooms also a spare bathroom on that floor and then the hallway Literally dead ends into the back wall of the townhouse. You can't go anywhere. You can turn around and go back down the stairs or into the rooms. I turn and I see a woman, cat, A woman. Full-bodied woman. Not transparent. Like if I had gone out of the, out of the den and touched her, I mm-hmm. would have felt skin. Okay? It's a full-bodied woman. I later learned it was a full-bodied apparition. Uh-huh. At the time, I thought, "Oh my God, there's somebody in the house," and it was not one of the guests that had just left, because this this woman—how do I describe this to you? In in the old Star Trek movies from the 1980s and 90s, when they brought the series back in movie form, yes. Do you remember when the Enterprise would go into warp speed? They would sh- to, to simulate warp speed. They would show the Enterprise take off. And the back of the Enterprise would become blurry. Yes. To simulate speed. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Like, the front of the Enterprise would be, you know, high definition. In the back, it would be blurry <clears throat> and beautiful rainbow colors to yeah. show that it's, you know, going to warp speed. That's what I saw on the back of this woman. So picture a woman running like this, the, the Starship Enterprise. Yeah. The back of her, and a full-body apparition—like I could touch her skin, or shake her hand, or hug her—but the back of her image was blurry, to like it was shedding, like it was shedding light, like that. Yeah, I saw that. And let me tell you exactly what this woman looked like. I can describe this to you in the most vivid terms because it made such an impression on me. And remember journalists are trained to recount events so you know who what where when and why the five mm-hmm. w's five w's of journalism who what where when and why that's you know if if you can't tell that story you can't report accurately so i'm going to tell you what i saw without exaggeration using the five w's including you know which are driven by my human senses yeah I saw this woman, she looked like something from, I want to say the early 1970s, kind of that early environmental movement, the back to nature movement. It was after the hippie movement of the 60s, but before disco hit, and there was a whole back to nature movement, Mm -hmm. people wearing, women wearing jumpers, and, you know, kind of back to the farm look, a prairie look, little house on the prairie look, that was very prevalent here in, in, in the United States, I don't know if it was in Canada, but, you know, eating, getting back to basics and eating off the land and, you know, that, that whole in early environmental movement. Uh-huh. Was, was more gentle than the current environmental movement that we have, which is so yeah. called and, so, and so toxic. This was, you know, a gentle environmental movement. But a lot, of, you know, people wore a lot of corduroy and a lot of jumpsuits and, you know, jumpers and things like that.
0: We did here in the seventies too.
1: Okay, so that I want you to get that in your mind. A lot of earth yep. tones, and browns and oranges and mm-hmm. olive green and okay. That's she was wearing what looked like a nineteen seventies jumper. Like like it had it looked like a German dirndl where it had straps on the top and then it, it had like a drop waist. Yep. And it had like a nineteen seventies floral pattern, but not vivid. In those browns and mustards and olive colors that kind of look like flowers. And it looked like, I keep going back to corduroy. It looked like corduroy to me. Mm-hmm. vertically striped fabric that you could touch and it would be, you know, ridged. Yep. And she had copper hair, the color of a copper pot. And it was crimped using like a 1980s crimper. Ah, yeah. Like you'd see that hairstyle. Yep. Yeah, I mean, these are incredible details I, I'm, I'm relaying to you because they made such an impression on me.
0: And you're and, trained to remember detail, too.
1: Yes, and I will tell you exactly who she looked like. Like, I think the best way to describe this is to, to say what famous person she may have resembled. Do you know the singer and actress and comedian Bette Midler? Oh, yes. Okay, do you know in the 1980s, she did a lot of romantic comedies, a lot of rom-coms uh, with uh-huh. a lot of famous people. She was the number one of the box office these were romantic comedies. She did a series of them. One of them I remember uh, vividly because it was such a funny movie called Ruthless People. If oh, you're yes. If you right now, of want to Google or, as I prefer to say, Internet search. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily a Google fan. Um, internet search the film Ruthless People. Or Bette Midler, Ruthless People. And look at her. That is exactly who I saw. I'm not saying I saw Bette Midler, but I saw that archetype. Wow. That image. I saw Bette Midler from Ruthless People in a 1970s prairie dress, a jumper. Uh Running at speed like you can't believe. Running, Kath. With the back of her body blurry, but, but shedding light, and 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 no sound, no sound, no smell, but a visual of this, and That's I amazing. saw her run up the stairs, turn the corner, and run toward the door of the den where I was waiting for my friend to come back up the stairs with a cold bottle of water so we could start mm. playing these video games. I jump out of my seat because I'm thinking this woman is either in trouble or we're being invaded. You know, it's, it's something criminal. or hmm. well, She's being chased. I jump out and I go into the hallway. Now, this is a dead end hallway. You look left and right. If you look to the right, you see the staircase. If you look to the left, you see a dead end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, look, you see the wall of the townhouse. A dead end. But well, You know where this is going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's nobody there. There's nobody there. It's, it's just completely gone, like nothing. And I am freaking out. And I start yelling, hey, JC, come up here, JC. And he's got the two bottles and he pounds up the stairs like a gazelle. And he, he turns the corner and I'm white as a ghost, pardon the pun. <laughs> I'm white as a ghost and I just tell him what happened. And he just looks at me like I'm crazy. So how much wine did you have to drink? <laughs> I'm not a big drinker at all. I am not a big drinker. I think I had one glass of wine the entire night. Uh-huh. Because I thought I was going to be driving home, you know, very quickly, as things end. Then I don't drink and drive, right? So I, think I had one glass of, of white wine, and that was it. So I was completely in, in my senses. And he said, "He goes, I don't know, I don't know, what that is that <sighs> is. He said, "Let's just play, let's just play games." And I don't know. I just kind of went along with it. I didn't want to be a, you know, all drama about this. So I just kind of dropped it. In, it, it seems kind of strange, and in, in looking back now, that seems strange to me that I would just drop it. But I did. I just dropped it to be a good guest and to move on to these video games and you know whatever. Mm-hmm. I dropped. It. Okay, so now here's the here's the second part of the story, that is just whack biscuit. This is just crazy. <laughs> and I'm looking at our time, so I'm going to try to do this quickly for you, but. A month later, he invited me back to his place for another similar barbecue and video games thing. This time, just the two of us, not with any crowd or anything. He said, what are you doing? I'm so bored. It's Friday. It's been a long week. You know, come on down. Get get out of the suburbs. Come into the city. Blah, blah, blah. I said, all right, Tracy, I will. Now, it has been, you know, a month or two, a month and a half maybe, interval from the last time I was at his place. And as incredible as this may seem... I had forgotten about what had occurred there. Now, that seems crazy that I would, but I did. I just chalked it up and thought, you know, I don't know know what I saw. I don't know what the whole thing was, but, you know, we played video games, and I have since forgotten it. A month and a half has gone by. You get busy with your life, and, you know, (laughs) you you don't obsess on it, and and I put it out of my mind. So to make this very long ghost story short, I went back to his house, and something very, very, very disturbing and strange happened. And that is the first part of the story that I just described to you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in great detail, happened as if I was in a time loop, happened exactly again.
0: Wow. Was and it around the same time as well?
1: Do you recall? It was identical. It was it was like 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. on Friday evening after dinner no alcohol involved this time not that it was a factor the first time i had mm-hmm. one glass of wine this time no alcohol just dinner and you know coca-cola mm-hmm. so he says hey let's go up and and and, and, and play games uh, uh, video games and i'm not thinking anything about this i say okay i'm start laughing because i said and remember how bad i am at video games because yeah I am. Yeah. you know you're the only one here so i got you know you're the one i have to play the video games with i said thanks a lot so he was joking so now press play on the video record he says to me hey it's kind of hot up here no cold bottle of water to which i say yeah that's a great idea he says i have to go downstairs to get it i said okay no problem And he goes downstairs Cat, I'm not even thinking, I'm not even realizing that I'm a part of something that's being replayed verbatim at this point. I'm not even cognizant that I had had that exact conversation with him in the exact place, at the exact time, a month and a half earlier. And Mm -hmm. I say to him, yeah, that would be nice. You know what's coming. I turn my head while I'm waiting for him to come back up the stairs you know who I see. Yep. I, I see the woman. Racing up the stairs. Cat at speed like you can't believe. Silently making no noise. Up the staircase. Turning the corner. Down the hallway. Shedding light off the back of her. Looking like Bette Midler from 1973. Hmm. And at this point now. I am, My heart is beating a million miles an hour. Because I'm repeating. Something I had pre-lived. But chapter, rhyme, and verse. In other words, I suddenly am—I am present in the present, realizing, "Oh my God, I have done this before," mm-hmm. but with not a single bit of it being different. Like I felt like I like I felt like I was being replayed. Like I was in somebody's movie and they had just pressed replay, and and it's happening everything is happening identically hey would you like a bottle of water i answer yes that would be nice i have to go down and get it in the kitchen no problem i'll be right here the same conversation everything that was so strange and i start screaming jc jc he runs <laughs> up and I, and I tell him again exactly what happened and he says you know it's strange that you're telling me this he says, because since the first time you were here and had this this experience Mm -hmm. he said i too now have begun to experience things here he says oh wow he says i've been touched on my shoulder Mm -hmm. and he says i've been able to identify when it occurs and it occurs he says it occurs the activity ramps up when i'm i'm in a rush to get out of the house Hmm. When I when I'm on schedule, I'm talking about J.C. Now. When yes. I'm on schedule, he tells me, and i you know I need to get out of the house for work, but everything's happening you know very slowly, and I'm right on time, and I'm very very leisure, and I you know everything's working just as it should, everything's fine. He says when I'm running late. He says that's when all these things start happening. I, he says I feel like I'm being watched, like someone is in the room with me boring holes through my back with with their eyes he says it's an overwhelming feeling of being watched yet there's nobody there in the room because he's getting ready for work Yeah, some you know mindless nameless you know thursday morning Uh in some month in some year and he said and that that's when i can't find my car keys he says i always find my car keys because i always put them in the same place Mm -hmm. And I can't find them. Or while I'm putting my dress shirt on and I'm buttoning it up, I suddenly feel a hand brush my shoulder. Five distinct fingers. This is not me now. This is JC. Yes. Five distinct fingers going, going from the front of his shoulder, over the top of his shoulder, down his back, and then off. And I said to him, I want you to touch me right now the exact way that you feel it, so that I can experience it through your eyes? Mm-hmm. And he did. He did. He put his hands, I mean, barely touching his fingertips to my shoulder, from the front of my shoulder, over the top, resting off the top, and back to the shoulder blade, and then off my back. I said, that's what it feels like? He said, exactly, that's what it feels like. And, and he had... And he- but it's only when he's in a rush, when he's running late or something has distracted him or, you know, he's got to get out of the house, that's when the activity would ramp up. I said to him, I said, you need to go down to the Department of Deeds in D.C. Mm-hmm. and to research the, the, the real estate records for this house. I said, yep. here's one, Here's one. I have a feeling somebody died in this house. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling somebody died on that staircase. And I have a feeling it's somebody in the 1970s. A woman died on the staircase in the 1970s. I said, and by law, by law, all deaths that occur in homes, for any reason, natural or crime, have to be reported mm-hmm. by law. They have to be reported to future home buyers.
0: Oh, it has to be reported as well.
1: Yes. In uh-huh. D.C., in D.C., okay. not in all jurisdictions <clears throat> in the United States, but mm-hmm. in D.C., it happens to, if somebody has died in your home mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it could be, you know, natural causes. It could be old age. Yeah. Um, it has to be reported. But, you know, especially if it was a crime, something traumatic, something mm-hmm. trauma, it has to be reported. I said, do me a favor. When you, get a, when you get a moment, go down to the D.C. department and do this. Please just do this. I need to have my curiosity satiated here. Yes. And he, you know, he promised me he would. And guess what? Did he? he did.
0: Oh, good. <laughs> <And> <laughs> what did he yeah, find out?
1: Guess what. You were right. A woman died in that house in the nineteen oh, seventies. Wow. a freak accident on that staircase. She I broke won. her neck. She, she probably neck tripped. And died. Yeah. She tripped. She tripped. She broke her neck and she died. Wow. God rest your soul. That's amazing. I said to him, him, She's still there. She's stuck in a loop.
2: Mm -hmm. And I
1: know that loop. I know that loop because I lived part of that loop with her. Yep. I don't know how I wound up in that loop, but I lived a loop that really freaked me out. I mean, that, I mean, it happened twice to me with that woman identically in the same situation in the same house with the same person in the same circumstance Mm -hmm. how how bizarre is that
0: he had never encountered anything that he recalls in that house before that moment you had that experience the first time
1: never wow Never. it was shortly after that that he did the research on the house remember he was just a renter great that he moved out of that house and he, he lives now in the D.C. area, just outside D.C., over the border in Maryland now. But, I mean, that was creepy. That was very creepy. And for me to have played a part of that, mm-hmm. and they, I felt cat on the second time. I felt like I was in a movie. I was in somebody's movie that somebody had pressed play mm-hmm. on, their, on their old VCR. Yeah. There I was held hostage to this story a real life groundhog day a real life groundhog day but i was an active participant in it Mm -hmm. not voluntarily i was an involuntary active participant in this movie cat i was even saying the same words that i said the first time that's amazing same words yeah yeah that would be nice i'd like a cold bottle of water oh i'll be right back no problem (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it was freaking me out. Well, I never went back to that house. Really? Nope. I never went back to that house. Not because I didn't want to see or experience <clears throat> the paranormal. You know, by this point in my life, I had had all these experiences that I was very open-minded to it. Uh-huh. You know, I had I had started researching it online. I had started participating in paranormal radio shows like yours online, and you know, I had now had a very, very open mind. Still not being to explain any of it using the scientific method, but keeping an open mind because I know for a fact what I experienced. Uh Clear-eyed, clear-minded experiences. And that second experience where I felt like I was being involuntarily compelled to play out this this Experience. I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all, and I couldn't explain it. And it, it disturbed me, and I didn't want any part of it again. Uh-huh. You know, if I could have been there as a witness and seen this woman run up the staircase and and had some other interaction in some other way, I would have been open. My I would have been open to go back to the house. Uh-huh. But I felt like I was a part of the story, and I was being compelled to be in this movie. That for, played out chapter rhyme and verse, even the same syllables and words and sentences. That 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 I wasn't. I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. Yeah, and that was just too. That was too. That was too bizarre by a half for me. That for whatever
0: reason, year. for whatever reason, you triggered that when you entered the house. And uh, do you find yes. ever since you had your very first experience when you were helping renovate the. Um, your, uh, Jeff was his name?
1: Yeah, Jeff Christmas. Fr-
0: yeah. Um, do you find since then that more things happen? You're more aware now of yeah. paranormal? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, no, no, that but, usually but, happens. What
1: I, but what I try to do, and this is really important as somebody who's a journalist and, and, and somebody, you know, who has associated with scientists, literally mm-hmm. rocket scientists, mm-hmm. literally rocket scientists, all of my, all of my professional career. I, still attempt to debunk everything that, you know, that happens to me and everything that, that I've seen since then, like seeing shadow people, which I've done and hearing knocks. I hear a lot of knocks all the time um, in multiple venues, including my own home, um, but including in public places. And in weird places where I shouldn't be hearing knocks. Uh-huh. I will hear them. Um, and I've researched, you know, what knocks can mean. Um, and, 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 you know, there are different theories on what they are. There are positive theories and there are negative theories. There are theories that are, you know, not so nice. I tend to want to ascribe to the <laughs> to the nice theories, of yes. course, <laughs> on what these knocks mean. Um, I've, I've consulted with people who are mediums and who are empaths. And, you know dared to describe these stories to them at the, at the risk of being made fun of or being you know trivialized or min, minimalized. I've gone out on a limb and shared some of these stories with some of these people who, who I now believe are psychics or empaths and they've really helped me to come to terms with what's going on with what could be real and what can be explainable mm-hmm. so, And I largely, in my experience I can only speak in my experience now. I'm pretty well satisfied that for me, for me, that shadow people do not exist. That they can be explained using psychology and using biology. Really? And I think that Yeah. In my mind, I have solved the shadow people um, uh, phenomenon. And, well. and I now believe that it doesn't exist, that it can be explained very easily. I've talked to psychologists. I've talked to optical doctors, opticians, and mm-hmm. ophthalmologists, and I think I now know what shadow people are. And there's a real-time science explanation for it. Do you want me to share briefly what I think it is? Yes, please. Okay, so, because I don't want to keep you long, and I know that you like to keep it to an hour, but... Oh, if... Um,
0: yeah, I have the time if you have the time. Okay, good.
1: Well, I have the time. Okay. Okay. So, You know, we've all had those those experiences of seeing shadow people, but for most people, based on my research of this, it happens while you're turning your head. Like, very rarely will you be looking straight forward and see a shadow figure to your left or to your right in your Mm -hmm. peripheral vision with a still head. It almost always involves some type of movement on the part of you, the person who's experiencing the shadow person. Uh-huh. The overwhelming number of cases involve moving of the head. And so with that as a, as a background, and you know, as a journalist and as somebody who deals with science, I try to identify patterns, patterns that are replicated to help explain the phenomenon. And one of the patterns is head movement. And so when I spoke to some psychologists about this, And uh, a friend of mine, who's an optical doctor, they explained to me that this is a very, very common phenomenon, and this is what it is: the brain is such a fast computer. Our brains are so, are are such immensely quick computational devices Mm -hmm. that our brain outpaces. I'll say this a different way: the speed at which our brain processes things outpaces the ability for the brain to accept the data. So, in other words, when if you've ever seen a distant thunderstorm, you mm-hmm. see the lightning, and you may not hear the thunder for a long time. Why mm-hmm. is that? Because light travels. The speed of light travels faster than the speed then of sound. sound. Yep. Right. So you have that delay. Or, for instance, when I go down to Cape Canaveral and I watch a rocket launch, uh, you know, one of Elon Musk's SpaceX rockets, a Falcon 9, huh. and, you know, you're well, well, you know, for safety purposes, they have you in a viewing range, you know, well downstream from where the actual rocket is taking off, in, in case there's, you know, an explosion or something, yep. which I've seen. Um, you all, It's always bizarre because you see the rocket ignite, And it's silent. It's absolutely silent. And then a number of seconds later, you feel the rocket in your chest. The sound of the rocket reaches you, and you can feel on your body the sheer um, power of the thrust of the rocket that's fighting gravity. It's this great battle that's occurring. Gravity is doing everything it can to keep that rocket on the launch pad, and that rocket is doing everything it can to Overcome the forces of gravity to go into space. That's what's happening. Well, in in our brains, it was described to me by these by this um, optical surgeon friend of mine. The optical nerve brings in and processes imagery at at a slight slower speed than the brain is ready to accept it. In other words, our brain is, is is a supercomputer. And it's ready to go. I mean, it is ready to go, and our eyes can only take things in at a certain speed, and that speed happens to be just slightly slower. Just to really dumb this down here, uh-huh. it, it's it's a half beat. It's it's now really a half beat, but to explain this is the way it was explained to me. It's a half beat slower than the brain. So okay. our brain is the supercomputer, and our eyes are a little bit less than a supercomputer just a little bit less. So as we turn our eyes and and our eyes are gathering data, are gathering imagery, which is optical, Uh it's being processed by a chemical electrical brain, which is more efficient. Chemical electrons are more efficient than optical electrons. So that creates that half a beat of delay. So what our brains do our normal, no, normal, um, nominal functioning brains. So I don't want to sound judgmental here. There's no judgment uh-huh. implied here. But uh-huh. brains that are, are are operating as they should nominally. Uh-huh. It's nominally, they will insert imagery into the missing holes that our eyes are not providing. If not, if our brains didn't do that, we would go crazy. You, you would you would have you would have a, you would have your brain providing you with with analysis that had holes in it. And that's not acceptable to our being. So a brain a brain which is receiving optical imagery, like, oh look at that beautiful waterfall. Oh, look at that lightning. Look uh. at this rocket launch. Oh, look at this love story on TV. Look at this funny Bette Midler movie from the 80s. <laughs> it, our, our, our brain is providing us all this, this explanation, explanation, explanation from of what we're seeing. But because the brain moves faster than what we see, like light versus sound, our brain will insert placeholders there that are that our optical imagery can't provide for it. Does this make sense at all? Yes, it does. So, so, so your eyes are providing a product to the brain, and it's providing 98% of what it's seeing. But the brain won't accept 98%. Our, our brains, as long as they're nominal, mm-hmm. we require 100% all the time. There is no margin of error. So when there is a margin of, 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 a, a, a bit of corrupted data that is not delivered to our brains. Our brains created it, fills in the space, so that you're always at 100%. The brain is always at 100%, regardless of the inputs that it's receiving from your from your sense of taste, or smell, or sight, or touch. It 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 needs 100%, a hundred percent of the time. It was described to me by this surgeon. So oftentimes it will insert. Something that's familiar, which is in our in our brains in human beings, the human form. Uh-huh. That's a very friendly, very uh, common, very non-threatening image. But it doesn't need to create in our peripheral vision an entire person, full-bodied person. It often will just put the silhouette of a very friendly figure something that is common that we see a lot, which is human beings, which is our own form. So you're turning your head and your optical nerve is is, is inputting, it's just importing massive amounts of data. Your brain is already there. Your brain has been there and done that already. (laughs) And 98% of what you just quote unquote saw has been now processed by your brain. But your brain did it at such a speed that it was slightly faster than the optical nerve could deliver, so it got 98 percent of the picture. But there's two percent on the wings, left and right wings, that that you didn't, your eyes didn't provide to the brain, because that's just not fast enough. The eyes aren't fast enough. So the brain inserts a placeholder when that needs to occur, and it doesn't need to occur all the time. But when it does need to occur, when there's when there's a data loss. Mm-hmm. When if you know the, ump, the umply the has corrupted some data, the brain says no problem, got you covered. Boom, and it, it it places shadows there. I've never heard it explained that way. That's fascinating. Right, and it's just been, and but it was I was told by both this psychologist and my friend, who's a who's a optical surgeon, mm-hmm. is if the brain didn't do that, we would go crazy. So how we would... would we would become schizophrenic? We would become, uh, uh, we would have, we would start having all kinds of issues, emotional issues, uh, you know, brain issues, things mm-hmm. that would psychological issues. A lot of people who have these these um, afflictions, whether it's schizophrenia or bipolar or whatever, it's because their brain lacks a certain chemical. Yes, we now know this. That's why you know, so many medications are so successful to treat people. Now they the people who do no fault of their own. Their brain just doesn't make a sufficient amount of chemical the way other brains do. Uh-huh. They're not bad brains. They're not broken brains. They're just different brains. Uh-huh. They're not nominal. They're slightly not nominal. Notice I'm not saying normal. I'm saying nominal. Uh-huh. And, and those brains do no fault of their own. Don't manufacture enough of a certain chemical we now have that chemical that we can give these people thank goodness in the form of pharmaceuticals yep. that we get, that replenishes or tops off the chemical that air in these brains that's why people who are you know schizophrenia and, and bipolar is highly treatable now and it's, i mean so we're so lucky to have that now that it can make we, we can artificially make those brains nominal again and guess what happens when that happens the shadow people disappear. They so how
0: disappear. would, how would you explain though, that some of these people who see uh, shadow people and they say they see uh, red glowing eyes or they're holding a timepiece or something like that? Is it their, their brain still filling in the blanks?
1: I don't know. It's beyond my pay grade <laughs> to know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, the way I define shadow people are very fleeting images. As Mm -hmm. you're turning your head, you think you see something and you do a double take. Yep. You know, you do a spit take like what? And you look back and there's nothing there. Yep. That's my definition of shadow people. Okay, gotcha. I've seen that countless times. These images that are constant in front of you, blah blah blah. That could be something totally different. To me, that's not the pure definition of a shadow person. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) A shadow person to me is something where you see something fleeting, you're turning your head. And and it's gone. It's instantaneously gone. And you look and it's not there. It's because your brain inserted it there. Okay. For a nanosecond to keep you sane. If not, if your brain doesn't do that, you have a non-functioning brain of that 2%. And that's enough to cause you to go insane.
0: Or here's a crazy thought. Maybe when we turn our heads to look at it, so we wouldn't go crazy we don't see those things that they could still be there but that's just a crazy thought
1: well yeah i mean that i mean that's where okay that's where science and data crosses over to belief Mm -hmm. you cross the rubicon to the paranormal Mm -hmm. see uh, what what I'm saying is I'm satisfied and I'm only speaking now for me. Yes. I'm satisfied now that science and psychology can explain shadow people up to what you just described. Okay. When you get to the point that you just said, well, maybe they're still there and we're just not seeing it that we were given a glimpse into some multiverse or something, Mm -hmm. you know, the the net we were given a, a blessed glimpse into the next dimension that, to me, can't be proven currently with science. So that now becomes belief. Huh. Right? Right? You transfer from belief, from science to belief. Yes. In other words, an optical surgeon using surgical techniques and medications can create, can create shadow people for you. They can create them. Mm-hmm. They can make you think they're there, but they're not we're using science and and pharmaceuticals to produce them or in this case to remove them. That can be proven. We can test it. We can give you a shadow person if you want one. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) And then we can take it away just as easily. You know, boom, it's there. That's science. That's, that's manipulation of the optical nerve and how it connects to the brain. That's explainable. Now we can, we can replicate it in the, in the surgery room. We can replicate it in in computer models. We can show exactly how it happened. When you you posit a theory that, well, what we really saw was a glimpse into another multiverse or another dimension, well, that becomes belief. Mm -hmm. That uh, That becomes a theory. It's a theory. But it's not fact. It's a theory. But in fact... You know, my optical surgeon friend can give you a shadow person if you want one for a short time. Using science, using a technique, that's fact. Multiverse and a glimpse into something else, that's a theory. I'm not discrediting it, I'm just saying it's a theory. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between fact and religion.
0: This reminds me of a paper on Infrasound that was written called Ghost in the Machine. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. i will uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll send that to you. I think it was written in the late '90s. I'm trying to remember who who published it. Um, uh, it was in the Journal of uh, I can't remember. Um, Vic Tandy, I think, was the author. Anyways, uh, I'm just going to give you the the cliff notes here. Um, he was working in this lab and everyone said it was haunted and he would see, uh, people would say they would see things from the corner of their eyes and uh, they would have feelings of foreboding and, you know, um, and when they saw those, the the, uh, black spots from the corner of their eye and they turn it, it would be gone. So they believed it was, it was uh, haunted. Well, he found out about a thing called infrasound and um, that's, it was, I I I take it you're familiar with infrasound, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, yes, and you know how it can wreak havoc on the human body. Um, and that's what it was. It was uh, a big fan at the other end of the lab that was off kilter just slightly. If I, if memory serves, that was the the reason why. And anyways, it was just simply infrasound. And once they fixed that, they weren't they didn't see the you know haunting anymore. But I'll uh, I'll send you that paper. It's, it's very fascinating read.
1: Oh yeah, I will definitely read that because see, I think that uh, I think that as with all things paranormal, based on my research and and using reason and not emotion, you know, based on using the, the gift of reason, uh-huh. I believe that. An, oh, and this this gets my paranormal friends very angry with me. <laughs> I believe an overwhelming number of paranormal encounters can be explained using science and reason and investigation, the knowledge that we have can be explained in unfortunately, very pedestrian terms. you know well like you just said, you know it was a, it was a, it was a fan that was oscillating and was a certain sound yep. that was causing this in this lab. you know that's not sexy. That's not fun. No. That's, you know, that's kind of a downer, but it's the truth. Yep. And we have to embrace the truth. We have to embrace reason. We are all products and descendants of the Enlightenment, and we're not living in the Dark Ages anymore. And, you know, when there is an explanation that is is clearly there, that can be replicated, that can be explained using science and reason, we need to embrace it. Uh Even though it's not fun. It's not as fun as, you know, having a a spooky explanation. Exactly. But I do believe that there's a, you know, a certain percentage, albeit very small percentage, that cannot be explained using science and reason Mm -hmm. and technology and equations and supercomputers. It just can't be explained. And we have to be open-minded to that. And that's where I like to prod my scientific friends who get mad at me for saying this. I get I get people get mad at me no matter what. Either my <laughs> normal friends get mad at me because you know I try to explain things away that they hold so dear. Or my science friends get mad at me because, you know, I'm dealing in, in voodoo and you know spooky, spooky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So you know, I can't win for losing here. But you know, I believe that if I had to put a percentage on it, and everybody's percentage would be different, so I'm just giving you the Dave percentage. Yes, I believe ninety-eight percent of everything that we think is paranormal is not, and can be explained using the brain and science and manipulation and supercomputing and evolved knowledge, just you know physics and quantum physics. I think it can be explained. But I'm telling you, there is two percent out there that just is, is baffling. Yep. And, you know, in, in quiet moments, cat over a dinner with maybe a full bottle of wine, I can get my scientific friends in very hushed tones and whispers. These are rocket scientists, mind you.
2: Uh-huh. Many, of
1: are, many of them are atheists, mind you. They're very secular people. I can get them over a bottle of wine to admit that that they too believe in the paranormal they will never say it in public yep. they they would they would you know threaten to kill me if i ever <laughs> you know, if i ever uh, reveal their names they would deny 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 that they ever said it but you know over a bottle of wine in a vulnerable moment even the most scientific rigid people i can get them to admit to experiences they may have had or at least they believe that their cherished science cannot explain 2% of what's out there.
0: Exactly. And like I stated mm-hmm. several times before, I'm a huge believer, but I'm also a skeptic because I want to know, I yes. want to look beyond what's going on.
1: Well, so something that you said either earlier in this conversation or prior to us going on the air, you said, you know, a hundred years ago, things that would have been would have been um, hmm. classified as paranormal mm-hmm. are no longer paranormal. Because we now have detection devices and explanations and knowledge and science and reason to explain it. And it has become very mainstream. And those things are no longer paranormal. So 100 years from now, things that we classify as paranormal, could they potentially be explained by our science 100 years from now? Our supercomputers 100 years from now? Yes. Uh Probably so. But will there still be things that can't be explained a hundred years from now? For sure. My guess is, yes. Yeah.
0: I think, um, and maybe science in the future will prove that uh, there are other dimensions and realities and we are actually in fact seeing ghosts, but um, they're known as a different name, but that's how we see them. So uh, who, who can say?
1: I'm looking forward to the time when, an astronaut or a cosmonaut or a Chinese astronaut or a Japanese astronaut comes forward in their retirement years to say that they had experiences in space. Uh I'm not not talking about UFOs. Nope. I'm talking about ghost apparition type things like on the space station, Uh on the, in the future moon base on our future base on Mars. I'm not talking about UFOs and aliens. I'm talking about, you know, did things happen in space? Did you ever see something in the space station? I know. I'm dying to know. You know, I'm just wondering if there are already experiences that are being kept from us. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. And believe me, believe me when I tell you, I have asked astronauts these questions every time I see them. I've had the pleasure of meeting many, many, many astronauts. And I it's one of the questions I always ask them. It's usually on the side, quietly. Mm. Not in a, in a press conference or anything, yeah. but when I have them on the side along the wall of a room and I'm talking with them, and we're kind of getting friendly with each other and feeling, you know, an, an element of trust there, I, I always ask them, and not one has ever said yes. Not one. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It yeah. could be they're too afraid to say it because they'll be shamed if they do. They'll be made fun of by their the astronaut corps, their peer group. You know, that could very well be a part of this. I don't know. I might be yeah. projecting there, and and there, maybe there truly is nothing. Maybe there is nothing that has ever happened in space. From yeah, a, maybe from it's just normal. Maybe it's just terrestrial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're not afraid to speak. Maybe there is nothing to tell. That's possible. But boy, would I love to hear it.
0: As would I. Wow. Now, if
1: it's happening here and is part of the human consciousness, why wouldn't it happen in low Earth orbit? Hmm. They're only 200 miles above us. 200 miles, that's not far. Not really, no. From where I am in Washington, that's, you know, just a little bit beyond New York, D.C. to New York. I mean, it's not far. Huh. Yeah. So they're they are not that far up there. You know, we think of them being in in outer space. They're not in outer space. They're in near space. Mm-hmm. So if things are happening down here, that, you know, that 2%, what I believe is 2%, some people would say it's 20%. I don't believe that. But the 2% that we can't explain using current knowledge, why wouldn't it be happening 200 miles away? Why? Mm-hmm. It's not that far. I mean, 200 miles is not far.
0: Maybe it has something to do with the electromagnetic fields. Um, there's a lot of factors that you could add into there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if it is happening, why, uh, why aren't we being told? Mm-hmm. You know why? Why is why is the governments European governments Chinese government Russian government United States government NASA? Why aren't we being told if there's if there's something happening on the space station occasionally, once a year maybe, uh-huh. if that if that's very very strange. Why are we being told? What's the agenda there? If if there is an agenda, what is it? I don't know.
0: That would be a whole different topic.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But as a space journalist, just let, let you know, rest assured that I do ask them every single yes. time. Yes. Well, it's never refreshing to
0: know that you ask.
1: Yes, yes. I never ask them in public because they'll never say it in public.
0: Oh, well, exactly.
1: Never. But I do, you know, in quiet moments on the QT, I do ask them, and they deny, deny, deny. So. Let's hope know. someday
0: someone will admit it. It's, it's almost like when people tell you that they don't believe in the paranormal at all, and then they find out that, uh, uh, you know, I do investigations, I have a paranormal talk show, and they'll say, well, there was this one time. (laughs) So hopefully, hopefully this will happen to you sometime.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. If I ever get anybody to confirm anything, even on the QT, you'll be the first one to know, I'll come back and we'll do a show.
0: Yes, (laughs) that would be awesome. Oh, we could, we could probably go all day. Just talk. Like, I hope you'll come on again because you have so many interesting encounters and stories. And um, yeah, this is really, really a good, a good episode. They're all good episodes in my opinion, but uh, sometimes people get a little bit more in depth. And I really like that.
1: Oh, good. Well, I was, I was happy to do so. And like I said, I was just so honored to be on your show ever since you launched it. I was secretly hoping you'd invite me. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) <laughs> you of should course, have spoke I've listened, up. I've listened so many times. I was like, I got to get out there and tell my stories. <laughs> you,
0: you should have, have said something.
1: <laughs> oh, I know you are.
0: but <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, it's been over over an hour and a half. Oh, so I I th- know. I'm sorry to yeah. take up so much time. Oh, it's okay. Like I said, we could have gone on and on and on. Um, I've had one um, interview one time and went over two hours. My friend Cisco Murdoch knows how to talk, and she she does it well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy I did not break her record. I want her to keep that record. <laughs>
0: no, so far my my uh, sister, uh, my paranormal sister, uh, Cisco has uh, has that uh, gold uh, medal.
1: <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I'm in good company then.
0: Indeed. Um, awesome.
1: So well, thank you be- so much. I appreciated being on your show. I appreciate if it as wants well. To me on Twitter, yes. Um, I'm at. German Town Runner at Germantown Runner, without the R on the end. Twitter doesn't let me have it; it's too long. So <laughs> at Germantown Runner, <laughs> and, and anybody can feel free to contact me, and if they have anything they want to relay or stories to tell, or they want further clarification, I'm happy to help them.
0: Awesome! And as always, when this gets released in the show notes, I will post links so uh, they won't have to. Uh, worry that they're misspelling something they can just click oh, on the perfect. link and it'll take them right there.
1: Oh, I'll use the link myself. I misspell it all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do that with my email, Paranormal Heart, all the time. I can never, uh, I maybe I should have come up with something easier to type. I don't know, but I really no, have I to like watch. It's,
1: it's very identifiable. I mean, there's only one Paranormal Heart out there. So you've stumbled on a very good brand. Keep Thank that you. Brand.
0: That's because of my good friend, uh, John Mallard, not uh, not related to Jim, but they are good friends. Um, when I first started this, um, I had a real difficult time trying to come up with a name, and um, him and I were bouncing back ideas, and uh, he came up with Paranormal Heart, and I really liked it. So.
1: Oh, that's outstanding.
0: Yeah. Well, thank well, you so much. I love so-
1: the logo. I love everything about it, so keep up your thank good work, you. and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Uh, Yes, we will for sure. So if you can just hang tight for a sec, and then we'll just have a couple of words. uh, But I will say um, farewell, and I'll chat with you in the duck pond on Tuesday.
1: That sounds great. Take care. Happy Canada Day.
0: Thank you. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.
1: Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to purpleplanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants.